or wonder why I'm up here. Uh, the Seahawks didn't beat the Packers, so I lost a bet to Jeff, and I have to speak, and I had to chop the locks. So that's the, uh, that's the info that you were probably looking for there. So uh, we're continuing our sermon on who am I in Christ today. So we're talking about our identity in Christ. Um, you know, the first time I told a couple of people today, the first time I was up here, it was easy because it was more or less my testimony. It was my story. In this case, I had to do some research. Um, so uh, I started with um, just Googling identity. Oxford defines it as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. Cambridge Dictionary defines the word as who a person is or the qualities of a person or group that make them different from others. So you could say our identity boils down to what we are, our comprehensive makeup. And we carry identity. I have, uh, I brought some identity today. Um, some of this is factual. Uh, Pasley is my last name. Michael Truman, uh, first and middle. 8-9-1977. I don't remember that day, but there's a document from the state of Washington that says that's when I was born. Um, I'm male. Six feet, eh. <laughs> 200 pounds, eh. So... More or less, this describes um, part of who I am. Uh, going further, Wikipedia says uh, identity is the qualities, beliefs, personality, looks, and or expressions that make a person. So if my identity were a bag of chips, I didn't know how to bring a bag of chips up here, so I stashed it. So we've got a, we've got a second prop. Since you're going to be marketed to a lot today, um, Super Bowl Sunday, I brought up Wavy Lay's. So you could say uh, part of this identity is potatoes, vegetable oil, salt. Um, you know, I was thinking about Cheetos, but I couldn't pronounce any of it, so I went with these instead. Um, you know, it's qualities. It's a red bag. They're ridged. I don't know what its beliefs are, but I believe these are going in my mouth later when we're done here. Um, but what else is our identity? We all have a little Clark Kent in us, right? We have those things that you need to get to know somebody um, to, know, to know that part of them. Um, you know, that thing where somebody tells you something and you twist your head and you go, really, that's you? An example, um, my best friend Dan, uh, he's a big stocky guy, collegiate athlete, a pitcher, and um, when we were first talking, when we were getting to know each other's identities, he let something slip. He said, I'm published. And you know, that's a weird thing to say. So. Your ears go up, your radar, what do you mean you're published? And it was like he was found out, you know, he got that little boy face, his eyes got really big, and he looked around to see if anybody was listening, and he bent forward and he said, I quilt. <laughs> I went, oh, um, you know, I didn't laugh, I'm thankful that I didn't laugh. I was actually comforted by it, because I do girl things too. Um, <laughs> But you wouldn't know that by looking at this intimidating big guy wearing a Cleveland Indians hat, uh, bearded face, northern Ohio. They just, they're just born tough out there. You wouldn't know that somebody like that makes blankets. Um, and some of you are Clark Kent's in here too. You, know, you might look frail and maybe you have a past in roller derby or you're a comedian. You might have a fear of shoes. You know who you are. Um, so our identities are complex, and we know that Christ's identity is complex as well. So what's our identity in Christ? Well, one of the things, some of you may know my wife's a painter, and uh, one of the things I've learned from her is that 
you know, blue is a category. There's lots of different blues along that category, right? And then you can have another color, a lot of different, a lot of different spectrums of that color. And then you combine these two colors and they become something unique. So another example, an analogy here, I might be this boring white piece of paper. Christ might be this bright golden piece of paper, two unique identities, and then you merge them together. I don't know if you can see that in the back, but you see the gold through the white. That becomes its own unique color. All of us are unique, and you combine us with Christ to become something that's spiritually unique that only you have to offer. So specifically for today, Jeff gave me three words to focus on. Chosen, called, and wanted. Um, So I prayed, Holy Spirit, show me, like, what part of the Bible should I focus on? Um, Where are these words found? And I went to Matthew 22, 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Your translation might use the word called instead of chosen. Um, So I needed some context around that, and I went back up further in chapter 22, and it says, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who has prepared a wedding, who has, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants, this is verse four, and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So to translate for you, two decided they'd rather work than go to a feast, and the rest became a murdering mob. (laughs) Verse 7, the king was enraged, so he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Um, That made me think of that real estate expression, you know, sometimes the first offer is the best offer. I don't know if that's true in real estate. You know, maybe, I don't know if Scott's here today. He wasn't playing, but maybe he could tell us if that's true. It was definitely true in this case. Um, you know, Jeff mentioned his love of ribs. These guys could have been eating oxen ribs and uh, doing the electric slide at a wedding. But instead, uh, they were destroyed and their city was burnt down to scorched earth. So, you know, the sermon preparation is new to me, but just visualize me praying and trying to get ready for this and coming across that point and going, okay, was that the Holy Spirit? Did I hear wrong? Should I go in a different direction? So I needed more context. And if you go back up to chapter 2145, you see who Jesus is referring to. It reads, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus's parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so knowing that, I love that Jesus doubled down with this parable um, of the wedding banquet. And if you pick it up in verse eight, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Uh, AKA they're no longer able to come because they're busy being dead. Uh, So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered the people they could find the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So in come the random people. That's like nobody's showing up to your wedding, so you go down to labor ready and get people. Um, Verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? 
The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So nothing like breaking out the good old weeping and gnashing of teeth when you're guest speaking. Um, For many have been invited, but few are chosen. So what's the difference between called and chosen? And I think what it means is your calling is an invitation. Um, Like remember when you were a kid and the phone rang and somebody back when, before we texted guys, um, and somebody would go to that or your parents would call outside and say, dinner's ready. Um, So who's chosen in the parable? Uh, It's any of us who accept the truth of Christ, of who Christ is and what he's done for us. To answer the call with your whole heart is to be chosen. And I've heard um, people question that and be confused in the past. What kind of God would choose some and not others? And I think they miss the point that we're all invited. We all have free will. Uh, We weren't we're not robots. We weren't programmed. Um, this is an invitation, and those of us that accept that invitation are chosen. And we can look at this again, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Um, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and through belief in truth, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord of Jesus Christ. So the gospel, this book, is your invitation. God chose you as a first fruit. He chose you. He wants you. And if you believe in the truth, that's Jesus, then you're saved. That's what that's telling us. Um... So if that's true, what about the other guy? What about the uh, guy who came out of dress code? Um, Which is funny to me, this ancient book. People say, oh, it's ancient. How is it relevant? I thought about what I was going to wear today. I was kind of self-conscious about it. I think about it when I go to a party. So do you. We all still think about clothes. This crazy old book, um, still relevant in my day-to-day life. Um, Well... uh, Notice Jesus isn't saying the type of wedding clothes. Um, he's not saying Vera Wang versus Armani. He's saying wedding clothes designed for a purpose and clothes that weren't designed to go to a wedding. And I think this uh, is an analogy. Um, this person's a, a warning sign. And what scares me is, is people go to church today um, who could be that person. So then what if that person's me? You know, if you're testing something, you have to apply it to yourself. What if I'm that person? What if I said the sinner's prayer, but I don't want to get thrown out of the wedding? And when I prayed about that, I think Jesus answered, well, follow my commandments is, is how you know. Okay, so what do we know about his commandments? If you go further down, you'll get to the greatest commandment, um, which he was also telling to the Pharisees. Verse 37 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I get convicted every time I read that um, because I want that to be my goal. But if I was transparent, if you could see through me, if my heart, my soul, and my mind were earth, were this big stack of earth, and you took a core sample of it, um, you might guess that at the top, closest to the surface, it's pretty much 100% Mike. It's, is Mike hungry? Is Mike thirsty? I spend a lot of time thinking about myself. 
Um, and then it'd be my family. It'd be my lovely wife, Heather, um, who isn't feeling well but still came today. Uh, and my beautiful kids, my parents, my friends. Somewhere down the line of that core sample would be finances. Fantasy football, maybe fantasy football would be higher. Um, I don't know, but then Jesus would come in further down the line. Um, so then I kept reading verse 39, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so I had a better shot there. Pastor Jeff knows like, to what great lengths I've gone to save my neighbor Dave from our campfire smoke because we like to burn outside. He's a glider pilot, and we have a terrace neighborhood, and so he says like, there's an inversion zone, and the smoke goes down. I don't know. But, so that's Dave. I've made an effort there. But Guy, I've talked to him a couple of times. I've never met his wife. You know, Across the street, there's um, Jeff and Dana. Talked to them a few times. So I'm 0 for 2. So I'm like, okay, what is the encouraging message that I'm supposed to pass along here, Lord? And um, that's when I felt him say, don't you get it? You're never going to love me as much as I love you. That's impossible. You're not ob- I'm not obligated to love you. I, I choose to love you, and I want to love you. You're wanted. And uh, the definition of that from Oxford is, uh, the definition of a want is have a desire to possess or do something. So he desires you. He desires us. Uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday today. Uh, Andy Reid, the coach of the Chiefs, uh, has coached in 364 games. Average NFL game is three hours. So that's over 1,000 hours of coaching on the field. Uh, Doug Peterson used to coach with Andy Reid. He's now the head coach of the Eagles. And he talked about his experience with Andy and said, even though I'm 10 years younger, he outworked me. He'd wake up at about 4 in the morning, and he'd coach to about anywhere between 11 and 1 at uh, 1 in the morning, uh, seven days a week. Um, Juxtapose that with Kyle Shanahan on the other side of the field, who's younger. He's he's younger than me, 21 years younger than Andy. And... uh, but he has a different story. His dad was a head coach. He was, he was brought up in it. His earliest memories are being around professional, professional athletes. Um, and these guys have dedicated that amount of time, at one shot to win one game, and they can't go back if it's a different outcome. Um, that sounds exhausting to me. Uh, and... I think what we have to keep in mind is that God's trying to prepare us for a Super Bowl in our own life. Um, He says in chapter 25, 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. As Christians, our big games aren't in front of the cameras and the microphones. Our big games are with the least of these, these moments where we hear the Holy Spirit and choose to act to make ourselves vulnerable in a one-on-one moment, private moment, and God chooses to move. And you're all uniquely you. If you look around the room, we all look different. We might share some similarities, but there's something about you that only you can deliver that's, that's truly you as an individual. And then you have Christ and the breadth and depth of him and him shining through you is one of a kind. And we have, you know, you hear divine appointments. We have this divine calendar, and we can choose whether or not we keep those appointments. And when we do, now I'm not saying if you don't that God won't come and meet that need. I believe he will, but you have an opportunity to be something unique and distinctive. And um, it just, it hit me like, 
how the most dynamic mind in the universe boiled it down. He dumbed it down for us. He made it so simple. He said, you don't, you look at the Pharisees, you know, you don't have to study like Andy Reid. And I'm not saying you shouldn't study this. I'm saying you should because you learn more about Christ's identity when you develop a relationship with him. But it's not about something that you earn. It's about something that you enter into when you say, um, I've screwed up. I haven't kept your commandments. I haven't thought about you as much as I've thought about my wife today. Um, I've sinned. and he says, I know it's okay, you're forgiven, go and sin no more, and hey, you see so-and-so over there, they could use some help. And he gives you the opportunities to show him that you love him by doing it to the least of these. Uh, so to close, um, Christ is someone who was, who was designed to have a personal and intimate relationship, uh, sorry, who you are in Christ is someone who was designed to have a personal and intimate relationship with God. Uh, you're chosen, you're called, he wants you, and it's not something that you have to earn. Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to meet here today in a free country to worship you and to be together, to have fellowship, to learn more about your identity. Lord, I pray that you come in and fill in the gaps, that you, uh, Lord, if I screwed something up today, I pray that you make that right. And, And I pray that everybody would have the opportunity to have a unique experience with you and to find out more about your nature and what you do for all of us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, Mike. Um, For those of you who loved Mike, just know that he'll be speaking again in the future. For those of you who didn't, well, I won't tell you when it is. I'm kidding. I will. Um, And his his Packers comment, I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't even thought about that. But it's true. The Packers did beat the Seahawks. But the reason he spoke is, uh, some of you know, we partner with an orphanage down in Mexico. And we've partnered with them since 2001. And I was supposed to go this past week. And then as we were planning and discovered it was my birthday this past week and my wife is going out of town. So, and so we, I had to postpone it. So I'm actually going down to Mexico tomorrow. So I don't know who will speak next week. I'm kidding. I'll be back next week. Um, but that was kind of the reason, although it is true, the Packers beat the Seahawks. So, so next, this week, if you think about it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll be making a trip down to Mexico to the orphanage we partner with to take the Christmas offering that you guys received for them and then also just to begin planning our summer trip down there. However, it's also uh, communion Sunday today. And one of the things uh, that really is a privilege and, and just it's one of the greatest joys I have. That there's certain things about pastoring that, you know, they're, they're just a drag or a drain. There's certain things you do that you just do because you have to, but there's others that I do because they bring me genuine life. I love doing baby dedications. I love doing baptisms, and I love doing communion. And I love doing those things because it's this thing that it, it is set apart. It is this sacred time for us to remember something else, something greater than ourselves, something that goes beyond. It's existed since the earliest church, since before Jesus was crucified, it existed, 
and it still exists today. And there's few things in the world, tradition, ritual, habit, whatever you want to call it, because I've had people go, well, why do we do it? It just seems like we just do this thing. But it has existed for over 2,000 years, or right at 2,000 years since this began. And we, as individuals, are invited to join in that. We have an open table here at Gathering Place, and I invite everybody to come and partake. Because it tells us in Scripture, this doesn't equal our salvation. This means I recognize that I've done something wrong in my life. We call it sin, but however you define it, that's fine. You've done things wrong in your life. And I need to recognize that I can't atone for those on my own, no matter how much I want, no matter how many good works, no matter how nice of a person I am, I can't atone for that. But there's somebody who can. There's somebody who made a sacrifice for you so that we could have a relationship with God. And that's what we remember in this. Remember that Jesus laid down his body so that you and I could have redemption, reclamation, however you want to word it, relationship with God. And that's what we remember today.